Good morning. Um, Alice asked me to share with you today some of my personal experiences with the Holy Spirit. When I became a Christian at the age of 17, my understanding of the Trinity was that there was God the Father and God the Son, and the Holy Spirit made up the third. But he was not mentioned very much in my church, so I had little to no understanding of him. Still, I continued on in my Christian walk, very much believing that Jesus died for me, he rose again, and he's gone to the Father to prepare a place for me so that when I die, I can share eternity with him. I married, I had two children, a son, Rick, who's now 45, and a daughter, Louisa, who's now 43. I continued to read my Bible, pray, and attend church. I taught Sunday school, Oh, he was boys brigade leader, and he was church treasurer. In the 80s, we were attending All Symbol Baptist Church, and the church was growing rapidly. The youth group was pumping, and we were excited about attending church both morning and evening. There became an awareness, though, that there was more. We went to conferences in Brisbane and came home excited about what we had seen and heard. But there were some things that we were a bit sceptical about. We watched people go out to be prayed for, and we saw them falling over onto the floor. We came to the conclusion that they were being pushed, and so we didn't see why that was necessary and what purpose it even served. So we became quite critical of churches and conferences where that was taking place. When we were in our late 30s, a group from our church were going down to Sydney to a John Wimber conference, and we were asked to join them. We were a bit unsure but our son and his girlfriend, Charlene, who's now his wife, were keen to go, so we went and we took them with us. The very first session began with worship. It was great. Worshipping in a huge stadium with thousands of other Christians, it was amazing, absolutely fantastic, all good. Then the first speaker got up, an old silver-haired gentleman named John White. He got up to give his message. He spoke of being sexually abused as a child. Immediately I felt uncomfortable. As he continued to speak, I felt very agitated. I was unaware that the Holy Spirit was at work. That painful era of my life was a no-go zone and I didn't want it resurfacing. I leaned over to Owie and I said to him, I've got to get out of here. Running away and isolating myself was how I dealt with things that I didn't want to face. He said to me, you can't, look where we are. And we were high up in the, sta- in the stands in the middle of a row. I thought, okay, I'm trapped. I've got to sit here and listen to what this man says. At the end of his message, he asked for those who had been abused as children to stand up, make their way down the front, that God wanted to bring healing into their lives. I thought to myself... As if, as if anyone is going to admit to that and stand up and go down the front. Well, I was shocked. People started, no, first of all, he asked the Holy Spirit to come and he said, I want you to move Holy Spirit through this auditorium and touch those people who are burdened with this. And I was stunned. People started standing up, not one or two, but hundreds, literally hundreds, The whole bottom of the auditorium was filled, the aisles were filled, and when the aisles were filled, people were standing in their seats. I was not alone. 
They were heaps like me, all willing to allow God to bring healing into their lives. But I was still seated. I was scared. And I was sobbing. I knew there was a presence around me urging me to stand, but I was glued to my seat. But we serve a gracious God. And the couple in front of us turned around and asked if they could pray for me. This was the first step to wholeness. I'd been quite happy to bury my past baggage and put Christianity on top, quite unaware that I had locked God out of that space and in turn, myself, I was being in bondage to the past. The next worship service, the Holy Spirit fell on me and I couldn't stand up. The comfort I was feeling was great, but I was still unsure about what was happening to me. Back at the hotel, we talked about it And we realised how ignorant we were of the work of the Holy Spirit and we wanted to know more. Next day we woke up, we broke up into workshops. OEN, Charlene and I went to one and our son went to another one. Speaker began by saying, who's had a touch from the Lord this morning? So I raised my hand. Then he said, stand up. So I stood and also a handful of others dotted around the room stood up too. Then he said, if you're standing near these people, pray for them. So Owe stood up, he raised his hand and just said, come Holy Spirit. With that, I went straight to the floor. During that time, God spoke to me. He said, I want you to tell the woman sitting in front of you that she's in a church where no one knows me. Even the pastor does not know me. She's the only one who brings my presence into that place and she's to make me known there. I'm thinking, I don't even know this woman. How am I telling her that? And so I decided I'd give God a suggestion that he should tell Oe or he should tell Charlene and one of those could tell her. So when I get him back in my chair, I go, did God tell you anything? No. Did God tell you anything? No. No. Okay, that's it, not doing it. (laughs) But at the end of the meeting, the lady in front of me turned around and she said, God said you've got something to tell me. (laughs) He had just confirmed that I had heard his voice. A little shocked, I relayed the message and she was in tears. She said she was from a small town in Adelaide where she was struggling and she had been asking God whether she should move on or stay. And she felt that she had not got an answer. And now she had a clear vision on what she should do. God extended OME that day and opened our eyes to more of the truth that's in his word. John 10.27 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. Our relationship with God grew when we began to recognise the promptings of the Holy Spirit and we began to confidently act on them. This new understanding of God and his ways came just months before we were told the devastating news that our son had cancer. We were in shock and full of fear that we would lose our 17-year-old boy. He had an operation to remove the tumour and doctors said that if they got it all, he'd be okay. But if there were any little feelers that had got away, more treatment would be necessary. Tess came back and there was still cancer in his body. He needed more treatment. 
we prayed, friends prayed, we called in the pastors to pray and anoint him with oil, the church prayed. We were convinced, so convinced that we decided to have another test done to prove that this cancer was gone. But the test revealed that the cancer was aggressive and spreading fast and he needed to start treatment immediately. We were devastated. Why had God not come through for us? I have to have a drink. (laughs) In the Sydney RPA, there was a doctor from America doing some experimental treatment on patients with cancer like Rick's. And he had had some success. And it was recommended that we go down there. By the time we got there, his markers were off the chart. And unlike the other four boys on the program who were able to have the low-dose chemo, Arik had to have the heavy dose. This put him in a different ward with another young cancer sufferer, Darren, who he befriended. The chemo was five days on and five days off. And for most of that time, Rick vomited. Everything he ate, he just bought straight up. One night after getting up several times to clean him up, put him back to bed... He said to me, Mum, please help me. I looked and said, what can I do? He said, nothing. So I prayed and I went back to bed and I cried out to God. I said, please, just let him have one night without vomiting. And then I went a little further and I said, Lord, you just don't understand what it's like to watch your son suffer. (laughs) Of course, no sooner had I said those words than I heard, I do. That was for a purpose and so is this. Then I felt the presence of the Holy Spirit. A peace came over me like I have never felt before. It was like warm water just washing all over me. God was in control. A beautiful experience from a God who loves me. We continued to be sick and I was up again. But now I had the knowledge and the reassurance that whether Rick lived or died, God was in control. And he had a plan and purpose not only for Rick's life, but for ours. Rick had witnessed to Darren, and during the last treatment, he left a little booklet with him explaining what Christianity was all about. Darren passed away, but a phone call from his mum revealed that he had accepted Jesus before he died. And so had their family. He was now with Jesus and they would see him again. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good work, which God prepared in advance for us to do. And 1 Corinthians 2.9 and 10 says, It is written, What no eye has seen and what no ear has heard and what no human mind has conceived the things prepared for those who love him. These are the things God revealed to us by his spirit. As Christians, we need to be in tune with God. That means spending time with him in his word, talking to him and confessing our sin. We need to be aware of the Holy Spirit's prompting, ready to spring into action when we are called. Don't miss out on the things that he's prepared for you to do by being unprepared. Was it an accident that I was stuck in that auditorium? Was it an accident that Rick had to have the high-dose chemo that connected him to Darren? Was it an accident that that lady from Adelaide sat in front of me? Or was it God's great love for us 
that he put us where we needed to be so that we could complete the plans he had for us. By hanging on to my baggage, I believe I was limiting God from having full reign in my life. Secrets bind you and keep you from going forward and gives the enemy power over you. Confession and repentance brings freedom and the enemy loses his power and God has the victory. I believe we have divine appointments. Take care you don't miss them. The same thing Alan's asked, if I could share a couple of things that I've had an experience with the Holy Spirit or something that came out of all the, the things that um, Alan's been teaching us, something that meant something. So there's a couple of things here. So um, next year, Kylie and I have been married for 25 years. So that's um, exciting. So, But I've got to first take you back to this story back about 27 years ago. Um, before we had met, before we knew each other. I was involved in a church that we had a kids club on a Thursday night. We had probably 100 kids and they'd have dinner and all sorts. Anyway, there was this, uh, just one of the girls that were there. I didn't know who she was. Um, Her name was Belinda. And uh, that's all you probably need to know about her at the moment. The church was having a uh, family camp where most of the church would go to for the weekend and they invited all the kids club kids and their parents you know come as a family come to the camp while that was happening a bunch of us happened to be in Papua New Guinea doing a mission trip building a house for a guy so I wasn't there at part of this camp along with a bunch of other guys um, so we went to the camp uh, sorry we went to New Guinea Belinda and her family happened to go to the camp uh, we came back from New Guinea after three weeks and we were at a prayer meeting on a Wednesday night and one of the, we'd have a blackboard up the front, everyone would you know, say about prayer points, whatever, so then we'd just spend time praying and we could see everything that was up there. Um, one of the uh, prayer points happened to be a pray for this family that came along to the family camp. Um, their child's part of the kids' club. Uh, the rest of her siblings came along and her mum came along. They went to the family camp. Uh, the, the elder sister of Belinda was involved in a car crash. She was a, a nanny, had three small kids with her. A bus ran into her, rolled the car, all sorts of stuff. Uh, so they just wanted to pray. And it was a connection the church had with this family. Uh, that, that young woman that was the nanny does happen now to be my wife, Kylie. So... Uh, hence you needed to know the, who Belinda was and where we all, all came into it. Uh, but at that prayer meeting, um, it, it, I can't say it was an audible thing I heard with my ears. It was something that I heard with every, being, every part of my being. It was the Holy Spirit saying to me, you nearly lost the chance of meeting her. Don't do it again. Not that I had a chance before that, but it was like this thing of just take this opportunity because... It's now in front of you, you know, you can't miss that. That was um, a little bit overwhelming for me. Um, It was overwhelming to go and talk to a girl, let alone, you know, hearing what the Holy Spirit was telling telling me. I was a bit of a mummy's boy. I didn't go out and do that kind of thing. Anyway, it did. It gave me that prompting. Um, Kylie had met some of the other young people at the camp. They invited a youth group. 
and then I ended up meeting her at youth group and uh, I soon found I, I had to take this opportunity because that was what I felt you know God had spoken to me about um, Kylie didn't probably really want to be at youth group or church she would say she had an attitude to life had a chip on her shoulder <laughs> and um, there was no church background in the family apart from this kids club that uh, Belinda was going to um, anyway I was not really part of her life she had mapped out where she was going to be I was not part of that but I wouldn't let up uh, there happened to be, uh, after a few weeks or so, there happened to be a, the local newspaper would do an editorial on a different church every week. And there happened to be an editorial of our church, and there was a photo taken of a few people. I happened to be one of the lucky ones to be in that photo. Um, her grandfather, who had nothing to do with it, didn't know he, she'd come along to youth group or anything, he just pulled her and goes, Look at that, there's a photo of a young guy, what about him? And it was me. And we had met at that stage, but she was just like, he's a dork, sorry, leaving him alone. Uh, she did eventually soften to both me and to Jesus, and she gave her heart to both of us, so I was pretty happy with that. Uh, that was one occasion. Another occasion that was prominent to both of us, um, I, I actually have to go back to the stories 17 before I even knew Kylie. Uh, my mum and dad went to Sydney. Uh, we were all from Maribor in Queensland. So they went down to Sydney f to... There was a, a young couple that were at missionary training school. They had graduated. Happened to be the same couple I ended up going to do the mission trip in New Guinea for. Um, but anyway, when they went down to Sydney, they were driving back. They got to Broadwater and the car broke down. And so they had to catch a bus home. A few weeks later... Uh, Dad and I got a lift down here. We did a little you know, drive round to find where we had to go and seen a little bit of the area. And something about this area made an imprint on my mind that it was like, you know, I'd like to come back here one day. So that was when I was 17, when I was probably 28, something. I don't know, we were married by then. Um, Kylie and I wanted to have a holiday, so I said, that left an imprint. Ballina, Lismore, all this whole area left an imprint in my mind. I'd like to go there for a holiday. So that's what we did. Borrowed some camping gear of my boss and uh, said, we'll be back in a week's time. So off we came. Um, Kylie liked the area too and Fred said, would like to live here one day. What do you reckon? So curiosity got the better of us and I went checking out cabinet makers see if there's any work um, pull, pulled out the, the phone book we were, living in Ballon, uh, we were staying in Ballon at the time so I pulled out the phone book looked under Ballon cabinet makers there was Ballon joinery first one in the book look at that okay so probably a little bit prior to this uh, Kylie and I had been through a few different things in our church that we had actually got a few hurts as, as a lot of us experience at times. We, we, there was an attitude between us and some other people and in the end we walked off. So probably at 12 months or more we weren't 
involved with the church at all. Occasionally we'd go along to something somewhere else, but um, here we're on this holiday and we're still in that mode, still in that, you know, God's there, but we're not seeking his assistance. Um, We're a little bit like the Israelites. We're wandering around in the wilderness at that stage. Anyway, back to Ballina. I know it's jumping backwards and forwards, but you get that. (laughs) Back to Ballina, checking out the work situation. Uh, We pulled up outside Ballina Joinery. And I turned to Connie and I said, I'm going to pray about this first. She's like, what the? Uh, And amongst a few other things. But uh, being the submissive wife, she was. She she went along with it, kind of. (laughs) So we prayed in the car. I prayed. She listened. (laughs) Um, I went inside and it was a husband and wife team. And the guy there that owned the business, he said, my only tradesman gave me notice yesterday and you've walked in today looking for work. Somebody's got things in control. Somebody bigger than us knows what's going on. Because why would you walk in today? That never happens. And my ears kind of like prick and you kind of go, that's just freaky because I just prayed and I haven't prayed for a long time. I didn't tell him that. (laughs) But um, anyway, we went, left there, went around about 10 or so other cabinet makers because you go, what one cabinet maker says doesn't mean it's great everywhere else. All the other cabinet makers said, if you've got a full-time job and great work, stay where you are. Don't move because there is nothing else here. Um, I mentioned to one of the guys about Ballina Joinery and that they had a spot. And they go, you would not want to work there. He's one of those born-again Christian nutcases. Okay? But, once again, you're going to go, I'll put that in the memory and I'll just, you know, ponder on all of that. Um, Kylie and I end up going back to Maribara. I kept in contact with the, the guy at Ballina Joinery and uh, when we got back, we did a little pros and cons list. Work out, do we stay, do we go, what's, what's the go here? The pros and cons list said, absolutely, stay where you are. Do not go. But I didn't have peace about that. Um, there, there, was, there was something that was drawing us down here, maybe wanting to escape family and things like that I don't know <laughs> but we had a we had a piece that no we kind of feel coming down here would be the right thing to do um, it made no sense to move but the Holy Spirit made sense of it um, even though our heart may have been hurting and things like that with the church we'd been in and the Holy Spirit was still having communion with our spirit He was still ministering and and leading us and guiding us when we didn't want anything to do with him. Uh, Before, I I told you about Kylie's grandfather showing a photo as as kind of like a bit of a confirmation for her to be involved with the church and to meet this handsome-looking dude. Uh, I've got to say it. Somebody has to. Uh, Well, this time, we got a bit of a confirmation out out of her father And he wasn't a Christian, had nothing to do with church, and he probably thought we were the born-again nutcases. But anyway, we went out for dinner with him. We'd just come back from our holiday here. We went out for dinner with him. We'd made that, yeah, we're going to move, and we were going to tell him. 
nothing unusual about going out for dinner, so there's nothing to make him think about it. But he just turned to us and said, so when are you moving to Ballina? You're going down there to live. We're like, what? How can you... We hadn't told him. He didn't know. He knew we went on a holiday. But we got that, once again, a little bit of a confirmation. And it wasn't even from another Christian or a friend or anything. Well, shouldn't call her father not a friend, but, you know. (laughs) uh, It it was from somebody that, that hadn't listened to God, but God used that person to speak to us. Uh, So then three weeks after getting home from our holiday, we did the unthinkable. We crossed the border to live on the other side. (laughs) So um, a few weeks ago, Pastor Al was sharing to us saying that one of those ways you can know you're hearing from the Holy Spirit is that inner peace. On both of these occasions, I felt that inner peace. I felt that, you know, the statistics would have told me to don't do it. You know, their pros and cons list said don't do it, but the peace said do. And, and it, really, um, that, it, it really meant something to just follow through with that. Uh, I would hate to imagine where we would go on, where we would be now if we didn't. Um, a verse that Pastor Al read was uh, Philippians 4, 6 and 7, which said, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Tell him what you want. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. In both of these instances, I had the peace of God, which transcended all understanding. I had no understanding about talking to girls. They were a foreign, scary species to me. And then moving away from a secure job to a world of the unknown seemed like a ridiculous idea. But the Holy Spirit gave me that inner peace that I needed to do both. Thank you.